For a second, when Chris got up here and started talking about music, I was very relieved that he didn't sing. Um, if you grew up in churches like the ones that I grew up in, or maybe the churches that I've worked in before, uh, there are two words that maybe strike fear in your heart more than any other as a believer in Jesus. And those two words are special music. <sighs> Still sends a chill up my spine to this day. So thank you for the community meditation, Chris, and thank you for not singing. So, Well, again, good morning. Thanks for joining us here at Prairie View Christian Church. We're glad that you're here. Now, last week, as we read in John chapter 5, Jesus made three bold claims about himself. First, he claimed perfect unity with God. Second, he claimed that he was sent by God. And third, he claimed that he had power from God. Now, how did Jesus back up these three claims? Well, with three witnesses. He mentioned a prophet, John the Baptist, his own works, a.k.a. miracles, and scripture, the Old Testament that was really written about him. And if you put this all together, the Jews accused Jesus of making himself equal with God. And you know, they're right. But as we read on today in John chapter 6, Jesus adds more miracles to his resume. First, he somehow creates enough food out of basically nothing to feed a hungry crowd. Then he walks on water in the midst of a storm. But really, the miracles that Jesus performs aren't the main focus of our text today. The miracles set up Jesus' teaching that follows. Now, who is Jesus? In John 6, he calls himself the bread of life. But what exactly does that mean? So open up to John chapter 6, verse 1. Feel free to use our Bibles if you didn't bring one and take it home if you don't have one. But before we read, let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time that we have together. Thank you that as the seasons change, as the leaves fall, as the weather gets cooler, as the days get a little bit darker and shorter, that we still have Sunday mornings to worship you. Week in and week out, as Chris said, regardless of what burdens we bring in with us, regardless of what successes we've celebrated over the past week, Sunday morning remains the same. We still get to hear your word. We still get to pray. We still get to sing. We still get to take communion. We still get to give. And for that, we are grateful. I pray that we would not take that for granted. And I pray that you'd be with us this morning as we read in John 6 and try to figure out what it means when you say that you are the bread of life. Lord, remind us that we need the bread that you offer, not just one time when we first come to believe, but day in and day out, Lord. We need your provision if we expect to live. And so, Lord, again, be with us as we study your word. I pray that our worship would be honoring to you. Give us ears to hear what it is you have to say. We ask this all in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, we'll jump right in. John chapter 6, starting in verse 1. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, 
which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. That goes back to last week. Jesus healed a paralyzed man in chapter 5. Verse 3. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. That's roughly eight months' wages, 200 denarii. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many people? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about five thousand in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. This is Jesus' only miracle that is recorded in all four Gospels. And John makes a point to mention that this miracle occurs at Passover. That's important to note as we read these verses, because there is a lot of imagery here that might make you think of the book of Exodus, the original Passover. For example, Jesus is teaching from a mountain. Well, Moses spent a great deal of time on Mount Sinai. There's a large crowd of hungry people. We see the same thing in the wilderness outside of Egypt. And somehow, some way, God gives these people bread. Just like he did back in Exodus. This all sounds familiar. And lastly, once Jesus actually performs the miracle, look again at what the people say in verse 14. Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Not just a prophet, the prophet with a capital P. That's a reference to Deuteronomy chapter 18. A promise from God that one day a new prophet like Moses would arrive. Exodus imagery is all over the place in this passage. But let's talk about the miracle itself for a moment. First, we see that Jesus knew what needed to happen, but tested his disciples. 
Jesus knew that Philip was not going to come up with any solutions. They could have spent a fortune on bread, and it still would not have been enough. And that little kid's lunchbox, well, that was a nice gesture. Bless your heart, little boy. But it wasn't up for the task on its own. Jesus knew that. Second, the sheer scope of this miracle is astounding. 5,000 men could equal up to 20,000 people total. That's a lot of mouths to feed. The prophet Elisha once miraculously fed a crowd in 2 Kings chapter 4. But that wasn't 20,000 people. That was 100 people. So if Jesus can pull this off, he'd prove himself to be not just a prophet like Elisha was, but the prophet, back in verse 14. And finally, in what could be an overlooked detail, think for a moment about the leftovers. The disciples end up collecting more leftovers than they started with. Just let that sit in your mind for a moment. How amazing that is. It's obvious that something supernatural happened here. There may be some symbolism to 12 baskets representing the 12 tribes of Israel. But if nothing else, those leftovers drive home the undeniably miraculous nature of this event. The only biblical event that could possibly compare to a miracle like this dates back to, you guessed it, the book of Exodus. So after something this amazing, you can see why the crowd wanted to make Jesus their king. Passover was like the Jewish 4th of July. It was a celebration of when God granted his people freedom from slavery in Egypt. And if Jesus has the power to do what he just did, imagine what could happen if he put his sights on Rome. They could be celebrating another Independence Day. But Jesus isn't that kind of king. As we learn later in this gospel, Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. So he withdraws from the crowd and goes to the mountain by himself. And that leads to our second miracle of John 6, verses 16 through 21. Now, we won't spend as much time on this miracle as we did on the first. And that's partly because John doesn't spend as much time on it either. Jesus walking on water is presented without explanation. John's very matter of fact about it. It's almost as though John takes this miracle for granted. When you're an eyewitness of everything Jesus does, seeing him walk on water almost becomes just another day at the office. But that miracle does add to our theme in the chapter. Jesus walking on water tells us that he has power over creation. And 
And where have we seen that before? The Exodus. God parted the Red Sea so the Israelites could cross safely. So two miracles so far. Feeding the crowd, walking on water. We've seen all these connections to the book of Exodus. But we haven't heard Jesus' teaching yet. And even more specifically, for the sake of our sermon series, we haven't seen Jesus use the words, truly, truly. But jump down to verse 25. By this time, the hungry crowd has followed Jesus to the other side of the sea, and Jesus finally starts to teach. Verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? They knew that something strange had happened the night before. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. There's the exodus again. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. This crowd has a problem. They are literally following Jesus, but they're doing it for the wrong reasons. Yeah, they're impressed by the miracle that Jesus did. But they don't recognize what or who the sign points to. They're not here for Jesus himself. They're just here for the free food. So Jesus tells them, if you want bread that doesn't go bad... The kind of food that doesn't just hold you over until your next meal. You must believe in him. Jesus didn't come to operate 
a food pantry. As good as food pantries are. He came to offer something better. Eternal life. Okay, so now the crowd has a question. What makes you think that you're better than Moses? Now that's ironic given what they said back in verses 14 and 15. When they hailed Jesus as the prophet and tried to make him their king. It's also ironic that they asked Jesus to prove himself with a sign while they're still picking the bread out of their teeth. But Jesus makes it clear that Moses isn't really the one who gave bread back in the Exodus to begin with. Moses was just the server. God was the one who performed the miracle. But in John chapter 6, Jesus did everything. Who then is Jesus? I'll let you do the math. But from there, the crowd misses the point. Even after Jesus' explanation, in verse 34, they're still thinking about food. But Jesus isn't talking about physical bread. He's talking about eternal life. In other words, believing in Jesus doesn't mean that you'll never have to eat again in this life. When you leave here, you'll probably be hungry. But believing in Jesus does mean that you'll have the sustenance you need to live forever in God's presence. You will still need bread. You'll still need water tomorrow. But when it comes to the last day, the day of judgment and reward, you're already set by faith in Jesus. Now, how do you think the crowd will respond? Olivia will be the first to tell you that I would not be happy if I went somewhere expecting free food, but only got a sermon. On top of that, we saw how the Jews responded last week when Jesus made such bold claims about his identity. And here he's up to the same old tricks. So if you guessed that the crowd would become rather hangry, you're right. Verse 41. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? That's their way of saying we changed this kid's diapers. And now he says he came from heaven. How does he now say I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them. Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Jesus is talking about himself there. Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. 
I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Now, where else in the Bible have we heard God's people grumble about bread? I think we know. Altogether, the Exodus. Back then, they didn't believe that God would provide the food that they needed to live. To the point of considering a return to Egypt. And then when God did give them bread, they ignored his rules about how to collect it. Which displayed a lack of faith. And eventually they got tired of the bread that God gave them and wanted something else. Well, sadly, history has a way of repeating itself. Here, God's people once again doubt God's provision through Jesus. They respond wrongly by failing to believe in him. And in the end, they decide that they would rather have something else. But here's the thing. This bread, Jesus Christ, is the only means of eternal life. Jesus is God's chosen agent of providing sinners with what they need more than anything else. Forgiveness of sins and reconciliation to himself. All the other options on the menu may sustain you for a little while. Like those who ate the manna in the wilderness. But it won't sustain you into eternity. Those who ate the manna are dead and gone. Jesus is the only way to eternal life. He didn't just come to pass out bread. He is the bread. And if you reject him, you reject eternal life. Now, you can't totally blame the crowd for not getting it. I am the bread of life is an audacious, and let's be honest, slightly odd claim to make. The crowd starts getting restless. You can imagine Jesus' PR consultants in the background trying to get him off stage before things really go south. But before they can cut his microphone, Jesus gives the most perplexing and maybe the most disturbing imagery of all. He says in verse 53, his final truly, truly statement of the chapter. That if you do not eat his flesh and drink his blood, you will die. One of the false rumors spread by opponents of the early church was that Christians were cannibals. People thought it strange that these people would gather to eat bread and drink juice in remembrance of their crucified Lord's flesh and blood. It just sounded weird. And you know, they're not totally wrong. But while it's not hard to think of communion when we read this passage, that's probably not the main idea John had when he was writing or Jesus had when he was speaking. The main idea is even more basic than that. 
Christians believe that we need Jesus to live. To live. In the ancient world, bread was a staple. It was such an essential part of the food pyramid that you couldn't live without it. We can't even fully grasp just how essential it was back then. Well, in the same way, we Christians simply cannot live without Jesus. And we believe that in the big eternal scheme of things, no one will live without Jesus. You know, leading into this, Jesus had a lot of momentum. Word was spreading. Crowds were forming. He had offers to be a king. But then he just had to say this, didn't he? He just had to start talking about people eating his flesh and drinking his blood. It's no wonder what we read in verse 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. They turned back and no longer walked with him. I guess Jesus telling them to eat his flesh and drink his blood was just a little too much for them. Jesus' original 12 disciples stick around, but not even they truly understand. One is even thinking about betraying him. John 6 sounded strange to their ears back then. And it could sound strange to ours now. But practically speaking, what does this mean for us? There could be several lessons here. You could talk about God's provision for his people's needs. You could talk about Jesus' power over creation. You could talk about the Spirit's role and who believes and who doesn't. If you're really looking for a fun conversation... Or you can talk about continuing to follow Jesus even when it's unpopular. Now, those lessons may all have their place. But I'm not convinced that they're the best takeaway for this morning. Instead, I'll leave you with this. This life is not all there is. This life is not all there is. And to have eternal life, you need Jesus. Nicodemus in chapter 3, the woman at the well in chapter 4, the hungry crowd in chapter 6 all miss the point of Jesus' teaching, at least at first. When Jesus said you must be born again, he wasn't talking about crawling back into your mother's womb. When he talked about living water, he wasn't talking about some magic well. When he offered the bread of life, he wasn't talking about barley, rye, or sourdough. Now, don't get me wrong. Jesus is not uncaring about our needs in this life. But to be honest, our need for eternal life is more urgent. And that only comes by faith in him. Maybe you've heard Christians use the term worldly. Worldly. We often use that word in the context of possessions. If we see someone far too concerned about accumulating material wealth and material goods, we may call them worldly. And we may be right. 
But there's another way that we can be worldly. And it's this. Thinking, living, speaking, and prioritizing this life as if there is nothing beyond it. You don't have to be rich to be worldly. If we spend countless hours ensuring our survival in this life, but little time thinking about the next, then we are worldly. If we always focus our attention on what's in front of us and not what's above us, we just might be worldly. Again, I'm not saying that we shouldn't think at all about living in the here and now. That stuff matters. When Jesus teaches us to ask God for our daily bread in the Lord's Prayer, he really is talking about food there. Food is important. But we also remember Deuteronomy 8, verse 3, which Jesus quotes when he's tempted by the devil in the wilderness. Man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. This life is not all there is. And that thought should not only cross our minds when we attend funerals. Eternity lies ahead of us. And the only way to live in eternity is by faith in Jesus Christ. The bread from heaven. Isaiah 55 verses 1 and 2 say this. God is speaking. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. God is concerned about your next meal, but he's also concerned about a lot more than that. Christ offered his body and his blood as the only sufficient sacrifice for sinners in order that we might live eternally. That we might be set free from bondage, not to Egypt or not to Rome, but from bondage to sin, the world, and the devil. And we need the deliverance, the redemption, the freedom that only he can offer even more than we need food. So don't settle for anything less. The allures of sin, the deceptions of the devil, the temptations of this world may fill your belly, may quench your thirst for a little while, but they won't nourish you in eternity. In the end, we will starve if we live for those things. In the eternal scheme of things, Only Jesus can sustain us. Only Jesus can satisfy us. And whoever feeds on him will live forever. We need him not just the first time we believe. This is not a decision that we make one time a long time ago. Rather, every single day. We need this bread of life. Only he 
will bring us into eternity. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time that we have together. Thank you for all the things that we mentioned earlier. Thank you for your word. And Lord, thank you that even as we read these passages and recognize that we need something that only you can provide, we also have a long track record in your word of you providing the things that we need. You providing things that we could not provide for ourselves. You provided for your people way back in the Exodus, way back in the wilderness. And you have provided for your people again, definitively, once and for all, through your son, Jesus Christ. And so thank you for the Bible's message that we are a people in great need, but that you are also a God who is exceedingly generous. So Lord, help us accept what you have given for us. Help us accept the offer that you have made. Help us receive the bread that doesn't spoil, the bread that never goes bad. Help us receive what you've given us, your son, Jesus Christ, that we might live eternally. Help us leave behind the fool's gold that this world offers us, the stuff that we think is going to sustain us, the stuff that we think is going to help us survive, but ultimately leaves us hungry and thirsty again. Help us turn to your son, Jesus Christ, and live fully now and live fully in eternity as well. We love you. We honor you. We worship you. We thank you for Jesus. We ask this all in his name. Amen.